You know, as I pray for our families in the church, I've, I see a common struggle. Struggle of busyness. You know, it's the plague of the American society, living the dream, the pursuit of happiness in things. And America by far is the greatest consuming nation in the world. We are people of stuff. Have you ever noticed the amount of storage spaces being built? And in between those, it's mini barns. <laughs> we are busy people and we are headed long, headlong going into the busiest time of the year. And what makes this time so busy? Family gathering expectations, and for some that's a lot of travel. Work party expectations, shopping, decorating, holiday festivals like the zoo, Coney Island, Kings Island, and this year we did a train ride, and yesterday the lighted parade in Mount Orb. And let's not forget the plague that comes around this time. And I'm not talking about a stomach virus or COVID. <laughs> I'm talking about buck fever. <laughs> that comes at this time as well. Unless we forget there are church programs that take time to put together, practice for, and then there's the attendance of them. There's some good things about this time of year. A lot of these activities bring us together with loved ones, extended family, and friends. And there is commonly a generous amount of time off of work to accomplish the many holiday activities. If it were not for the holidays or funerals to put people together, our relationships would be much more distant. You know, I don't get so bothered with busyness in itself. We all have the same amount of time, 24 hours in the day. And we should be busy with something. However, I'm most concerned about how we prioritize our time. And this is prime time for our priorities to get skewed. Many times we sacrifice our priorities, routines, and rest for activity, often resulting in irritation and sharpness with the ones we love the most. There's a psalm or a song that would be sung to remind us of who is the top priority in our life. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 127. Psalms 127. It's going to be a very familiar psalm and a very short psalm, but a very powerful message in this psalm. Psalm 127, beginning in verse 1. It says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Here are a few priorities listed in the first two verses concerning building your family. Make sure that God is the one who is building your life and your family and not you. 
for that is vanity. Make sure you put your trust in God and not in you, for that is vanity. Make sure you put your finances in God and not in the sacrifice of your labor, for that is vanity. God tells us that children are His. He is the one to build the family. He is the one to keep the family. And He is the one who provides for the family. He is the rule in our families. You know, I look back and, you know, you you can look back at your life and you can start to claim a lot of things of what you've done, but really when it comes down, it's amazing what God has done, what God has done in my family. If there's something that wasn't done, it was, <laughs> it was because of it. You know, Christmas time can really expose wrong priorities in the thoughts of raising a family. I remember a time when you would go to the store and put your gifts in layaway. Is anybody familiar with layaway? Okay, I'm surprised. It, it probably was going out when you guys were coming in. <laughs> Basically, you get all the things you want. And this is kind of interesting to, to think about because I was in the retail business as a young man, and so I know what these things were and how they were handled. Basically, you get all the things you want for your family, and you have the store put it in the back warehouse for you until you make enough payments on the merchandise to completely pay for the stuff and take possession of the items. In order to get the items paid for in time by Christmas, You would manage the timing of your bills, your paycheck, overtime hours, and expected Christmas bonus. And if that fails, you just don't pay a bill or two and figure that out next year. Really, this is how Patty's family (laughs) worked out Christmas. Uh, Her mom was a big layaway lady, wasn't she? They would use a term, and I'm not sure where it came from, but it was termed buying Christmas. Uh, she would say, you know, I still, I still have to buy Christmas. Uh, the phrase kind of turns my stomach. There was nothing meant by it, but there is something meant by it. The retailers now figured out a much better way called credit cards. They no longer have to store and keep track of the things in their warehouse. You just take this stuff right home the day you buy it or order it online with your credit card, then you pay for it whenever you like, over time, at the rate of 28% or something like that. You know, buying Christmas is laboring in vain, except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Incorrect priorities lead to temporal pleasures, drama, anxiety, and contentions. Sounds like the holidays for many people. 1 Timothy 6.5 says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. You know, God gave us a basic priority system to avoid the train wreck of misplaced priorities in life. It may seem oversimplified and overused, but the acrostic J-O-Y is the basic fundamental building blocks of God's blessings. J, Jesus. O stands for others, and Y stands for you. I know you all know that. It's been said many and many times. But he actually gave this priority system very clearly in Mark chapter 12, 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. You know, I'm not so concerned about our church or even the church as a whole, understanding the priority system of Jesus first, others second, and ourselves third. But how do we put God first? How do we know that we are pleasing Him? How come some people believe that they put God first by sitting in a tree stand or in a bass boat on Sunday, that they find worship in the beauty of nature, God's creation? They probably claim the song we just sang, for the beauty of the earth. They might even sing it out there. You know? How come some people believe they put God first when they go to church on Christmas and Easter, while others adopt only certain services to attend, while others seek to be at church every day that doors are open? Why do some people go to various churches that have various definition of what pleases God? I hope today to answer that question with a message entitled, Where Did You Put Jesus? Or, for this time of season, Jesus on the shelf. If we could call it that as well. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we know that what the priority is. But sometimes we put Jesus in the wrong place. And so, Father, I pray that today you would stir our hearts and question our motives and our thoughts and everything concerning letting God build 
our house and putting him truly first according to your word. It's so easy to slip out of the way in this area that we don't even realize it. But then things begin to suffer. And so, Father, I pray before it gets too far that we would straighten ourselves up today and get you where you belong. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, again, I believe that Christians understand that Jesus needs to be first in our lives. But why is there so many variations or versions of that? The problem is where we place him, where we place him. And I'm just going to give you three points today. I'm going to ask you first of all, where is your treasure? Because misplaced treasure is a misplaced Jesus. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me ask you something. Where do you spend free time? Your free time is somewhat, it's somewhat of a misnomer because it's actually the most expensive, precious time you have because in order to get free time, it requires an excessive amount of time in the form of responsibility to get it. So where do you prioritize your time? Do you make time for Jesus as a priority? What about your finances? Now, I am not and hope never to be a preacher to shame you into giving. Because 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. We get the heart right. We get Jesus in the right place. Our giving gets right. What about your talents and efforts? God-given talent and effort equals passion. Do you spend your time thinking how you can use your passion in the work of the Lord? Do you spend much time thinking about how you could better please the Lord with the talents He has given you? Where have you placed the church in your life? Is the church your passion? Is winning souls a passion? Is church and winning souls on the shelf of convenience rather than the treasured shelf? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Misplaced treasure means a misplaced Jesus. Number two, where is your thinking? Misplaced thinking is a misplaced Jesus. You know, there is much reverse thinking concerning Jesus today. I was speaking with a vendor at work who is a devout Catholic. He described to me what his faith was ultimately resting on. He was very passionate about it. He said when he took the Eucharist, and we talked about what the Eucharist is last week, that he had a wonderful feeling come over him. What he was doing was basing his faith on the experience of feelings. You know, though feelings and experiences are very real, they are not sufficient to base faith on. There have been many people I know who base their salvation on a supernatural event. 
at least a couple I can think of. May I remind you that Satan can appear, can appear as an angel of light. Now that would be quite the experience. Though feelings often accompany salvation, and surely salvation is an experience, salvation is based on the acknowledgement and submission to the facts of the Word of God. It is the facts that support the feelings, not the feelings that support the facts. I'm hoping some of you, you might be able to witness to some people, you might get some ideas through this, this message of some questions to ask. Another faulty thinking pattern. There's a common saying, let your conscience be your guide. As good as that may sound, and in the very purest sense, it could be correct. Letting your conscience guide can lead to wrong thinking because people have different ideas of right and wrong. I suggest another way of thinking. Get in your Bible and in a good church and let that develop your conscience. See, our conscience needs to be developed around the Word of God. You see, when you let your conscience be your guide, you fall into the trap of what seems right. It may seem right that family came before the church, that the family and its needs come before the church. And though there is some truth in such a path, and there is a separation of authority between family and church, the two are not contrary one to another, but rather naturally complementary and work together as a unit. However, a belief that family is stronger unit than the church leads to family churches, family baptisms, family communions, things that lead to a misplaced Jesus. Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Don't let your conscience be your guide. That leads to a misplaced Jesus. Let the Word of God be your guide and let that determine your conscience. Let me point out another misplacement of thinking. That is when we let the temporal drive the eternal. This is where reasonings and excuses are made for justification of behavior. Hey, this this hits home with all of us. Sure, there are legitimate times when health and or a time of rest is necessary. That causes a blip of consistency of our service to God. However, just because we are tired does not justify an absence from God's work. Much of Jesus' work occurred when he was tired and or hungry. Serving is not a service of convenience. It is often inconvenient. Service does not fit cleanly in our routine service many times comes at the cost of our routine or the things that we set out or do the day just to ask my wife i don't know if she's had a day that that's went where she's done uh, everything she planned to do jesus saw something greater than eating or sleeping at times john 4 31 in the mean while his disciples prayed to him now they were concerned about eating Uh, They went down and got some food, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? (laughs) 
I guess they're thinking, hmm, he had some other kind of food. We picked up McDonald's. Did somebody pick up Burger King around here? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Does your convenience and routine trump the moment of call to service? Not gonna, I can't do that. I've, I've got this I've got to do today. How often are we trying to work around the church to our schedules? There needs to be some buzzers going off here. There's perhaps nothing wrong with that in itself. And that, that's a good thing to try to work with things. But it's a slippery slope to a misplaced Jesus. The true Jesus tells us to let the eternal drive the temporal. But those with a false Jesus let the temporal drive the eternal. Now here's one of the most dangerous misplaced thinkings. This is when you let your religion determine the truth rather than the truth determining your religion. You think about it. Every person is raised with a religion of some sort. Could be Christian with hundreds if not thousands of religious variations or Jewish or Buddhist or whatever. And you might say that people were raised without a religion. I beg to differ. Everybody is raised up with some kind of influence of the reason for their existence. It could be something very shallow or something quite bizarre in nature. Most people just follow the way they were raised and influenced. That's the common thing. And they base the truth on their religion. Following this thinking, you are drawn into a couple of conclusions. Your religion is the correct one because you have been taught that it, is, it has all the right answers. Or all religions are just various ways to the same God. Religions provide comfortability, a place of familiarity, and false comfort. Religion in itself is dead. It is superficial. Religious basis is that of works, as, I'm, as I would define religion. Those who put their trust in it believe that their acceptance into heaven is by works of some form or fashion. This is perhaps the most powerful lie that will lead the most to hell. The truth, however, is that there is none worthy, that our works are as filthy rags to God, but that God was not willing that any should perish and therefore offered His Son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice in the place of our condemnation. He was our substitute, and we are pardoned from the death sentence upon us. This Thanksgiving, there's a tradition where the President of the United States pardons a turkey. I think his name was, her name, well, I don't know, chocolate this year. Instead of a turkey being slaughtered for Thanksgiving as it should be, <laughs> and I'm still kind of moping over no extra turkey after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Instead, the turkey being slaughtered for Thanksgiving, it is set free to live the rest of its life free of the dinner plate. You know, it's not a bad thought to stop and think about that. That's what God did for us. He pardoned us with his own blood. 
But you see, there is the belief that religion determines the truth. But it completely misplaces the work of Christ on the cross. Correct thinking acknowledges that no work of ours will earn us to heaven, but it is the work of Christ alone on the cross that is the power of salvation for all those who will believe on Him. Works to receive salvation is a misrepresentation of Christ. It actually, listen to this, cheapens the work of salvation. You know, a good question for somebody of what they're believing and they say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and, and you have to do this, and you have to do that. To ask them, so Christ alone was not enough. He couldn't done it himself. Christ was not good enough in what he did, that it required something of us to do. It's a good question to ask. Claiming Christ alone what it's about but when it's not just Christ alone it's totally unacceptable to God this is the result of religion dictating the truth you look at the religion that's who tags this stuff on adds these things it was the Jewish religion may I tell you that crucified Christ one of the things I remember about my brother-in-law John walking horse is one time he told me, he said, you know the Jews put him on the cross. Even he realized some things. The proper placement of Christ in our lives is when we allow truth to dictate our religion. I kind of hate when people ask me what my religion is because it's not really about that. You know, it's about, what I, it's about what the Word of God says. And then my religion or my church needs to be back up what that is. You say, Pastor Brinker, I'm good here. I understand salvation by grace alone through faith. But let me ask you something. Does your life represent mercy and grace? What do you do when you have an opportunity to help someone, but since they didn't help you on the many opportunities that they had, you're not going to help them? Or are you willing to help the undeserving? Many times I see older parents, grandmas, grandparents, Put pressure on the children to help them because they helped you. This is not God's way. To give that you may get back. I'm not saying that parents and grandparents stop giving, and I'm not giving you an excuse not to help your parents and grandparents. On the contrary, I am saying we should be helping each other. I am attacking, attacking though, the yoke of indebtedness in it. Jesus didn't come with indebtedness in our life. We are to serve him freely out of a heart. Our giving is out of a joyful heart. We need to get all that right. Romans 13, 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. You see what the law does is tries to make equality and pay things off and get things right. But it was never designed for that because you could never really perform it. It led us to mercy and grace to Jesus Christ. Our human nature wants to seek judgment and equity. We try to make that perfect balance of what we deserve and we fight for our rights. But God's ways is rooted in giving up all your rights. Is that not what Jesus did? The Jesus we serve is by mercy. 
forgiving and rejecting the right of judgment of others. It is also by grace, serving those who are undeserving. You see, when we understand salvation correctly, when we truly understand what God has done for us, we stop being an accountant and we start being accountable to others by living a life of grace and mercy to others. Misplaced thinking is a misplaced Jesus. Now there's one last thought of a misplaced Jesus in our lives. Where is the honesty with yourself? Misplaced honesty is a misplaced Jesus. The biggest liar we will ever run into is ourself. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We must come to this conclusion if we are ever to be helped. Otherwise, we think we are always right. But if we are honest, we remember that there were times in the past where we were wrong, though we we thought we were right. And when we understand that, we will realize that there are yet new wrongs yet to be discovered. It is not human nature to think this way, but a properly placed Jesus will teach us to be truthful with ourselves. Who is the most blind person you will ever meet? Matthew 7, 3, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. We, we are the blindest ones. Who is the most stubborn person that will affect your life the most? No, it's not your two-year-old child. Though that can come a close second <laughs> as the most stubborn person, in your, stubborn person in your life. But the person that will affect you the most, the most stubborn person is you. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's that word, if. That's a big if. That if means saying these three words that are so difficult to come out of our mouth. You are right. I am wrong. I am sorry. I have sinned. That's as simple as it gets. If we confess. Confession comes very briefly and distinctly. We've seen it with our children. We say, tell them you are sorry. And with a hard heart, they will say, sorry, you know, or something like that. In other words, I said it, but I don't mean it. It is the tone of Cain. And the Lord God said unto Cain, where is thy able brother? And he said, I I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? It's a tone of a hard heart. Whose hard heart will affect our life the most? yours. Mark 16, 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. 
the wonderful resurrection. I didn't see much where the Lord just chided somebody, chided these disciples for hardness of heart and unbelief. Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth in eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to receive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Now, church, I'm concerned about our priorities being misplaced. We know that Jesus is to be first, but where have you placed him? Let's get him back in his rightful place today with the pianist coming and heads bowed and eyes closed. One of the psalm writers, I can't remember his name, said, my feet almost well nigh slipped getting your priorities out of whack is an easy place to slip and not know it misplaced treasure in our lives where is our treasure misplaced thinking where we justify our actions have reasons and excuses and all those things or just not being in the word of God and misplaced honesty. That's where the rubber meets the road. And it's such an amazing thing when with your heart, with a contrite spirit and a right heart, you tell God, I've sinned. I am wrong. It is amazing what God will do in your life with that attitude. God put his finger on your life today. I'm looking at the cream of the cream here today. Even you could have a place where you put Jesus in the wrong spot. coming out, whether many or few, and I pray you receive a blessing from the Lord today. I appreciate Tim's message this morning. That was encouraging and exciting and uplifting to think of Caleb, you know, to be like Caleb. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, how great you are.
help us to put you on the great shelf of our lives, to worship you, to serve you, to love others. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.